Welcome to Long Takes, a new podcast from ScreenCrush.com. I'm Aaron Whitney, senior editor at Screen Crush. And I'm Britt Hayes, associate editor at Screen Crush. And today we're joined by Shirley Lee from Entertainment Weekly. Hi, guys. So Hello. This is our second episode of Long Takes, and today we're going to be talking about Asian visibility and representation in Hollywood and how in film and TV this year we've seen a lot of controversy around whitewashing and also a lot of progress and hope for the future. And Shirley, you just recently wrote a series about all of this for Entertainment Weekly. Yes, I did. It was a uh, it was something that was in the works for a long while. Uh, you know, a while back when Netflix announced that Danny Rand for Iron Fist was going to be played by a white man by Finn Jones. There's a lot of chatter about whether that was considered whitewashing or not because it was an originally white character, but based on really Asian stereotypes. So it was kind of a story that was percolating, just looking at the state of Asian representation. And then when Crazy Rich Asians got greenlit, that was that felt like the right time to do it. Right. Yeah. So there's things to be worried about, but also some positivity in the future, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... If you want me to just go through kind of the examples that have happened in the past year and a half or two years, I mean, sure. we, could, we could start off with Cameron Crowe's little scene, Aloha. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Emma Stone played a character, uh, Victoria Wynn, who was, I believe, half Vietnamese, was that it? And quarter I, Chinese. A quarter something. Right. Yeah, a quarter, a quarter Chinese and a quarter, I think, Hawaiian. Right. A quarter something here and there. I mean, the thing is, when you look at Emma Stone, that is clearly a white woman. Uh, playing a character that could have gone to an Asian or a half Asian actor. Right. Um, and then you also have Scarlett Johansson cast in Ghost in the Shell, uh, Tilda Swinton cast as an originally Asian character in Doctor Strange, and like we mentioned, Netflix's Iron Fist and uh, some upcoming projects too. And the the problem here is they're all so murky. You know, the mm-hmm. way to think about it, it's uh, people can make the argument that, oh, the character in Ghost in the Shell is a cyborg and therefore not someone you should be, you know, up in arms about. But that's not the point. It's a right. it's yeah, it's a quintessential Japanese story. And that's where the frustration comes from. And uh, a couple of these other z- examples, too. Scott Derrickson said that, you know, Tilda Swinton, St- Tilda Swinton's character, the ancient one, was rewritten as a uh, Celtic woman instead of um, instead of Asian, uh, an Asian man. So that kind of fixes it, quote unquote, but it doesn't fix it because it was a character who was originally Asian. So that's those are a couple of the controversies that have come up in right. the past year. I just wanted to ask because I read, you know, Jen Yamato's piece on on the Daily Beast about Scott Derrickson and Doctor Strange and that particular casting. I guess I just wanted to kind of talk about that for a second because I don't you know, I'm not defending it. I also just think that he did a really good job of explaining why it was difficult to cast that role. And I kind of wondered if maybe maybe they just shouldn't have had that character at all. You know, like maybe they should have found a different workaround for that. Like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, on my end, it's really hard to come up with a resolution. I think for everyone I talk to, I talk to a bunch of casting directors, a bunch of actors, and there's no consensus on what should have been done. It's just something that was done and irked people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's really where the conundrum comes in. It's like, what what do you do? Do you just get rid of the character as a whole and then remove a part of Doctor Strange's origins? Or do you rewrite him into a Celtic woman uh, to make everything fit? I don't think there is a clear answer. I think what people were angry about was this was a missed opportunity. 
you know, even if you're trying to avoid a stereotype, that still takes away an opportunity for an Asian actor to get a major starring role in a huge film. That said, I mean, I think Tilda Swinton was great in the film. She she absolutely captured that character that they wrote for her. Um, but again, there's there's no real clear answer. I think what people are always angry about is is how many opportunities there are, and when you miss one, it's it's rough. The thing I found the most interesting about that Scott Derrickson interview in The Daily Beast is he he does kind of admit that they actually were looking for an Asian actress at mm-hmm. first, whether or not, you know, they actually were. He says they were. But he says that his reason for not casting an Asian actress was he was worried about playing into this dragon lady stereotype, which I found kind of interesting that he hadn't really mentioned that in previous interviews. Mm-hmm. And it's I think it's hopeful in one sense that he was aware of that and trying to avoid it. But I wonder that is copping out and avoiding that, you know, enough of an excuse to say, you know, we couldn't we're trying to avoid one stereotype. It led us to possibly leading into another. So let's just completely ignore it and erase all Asian visibility with this character and just cast a white woman. So I wonder, you know, is that a laziness on the part of, you know, does does that show a larger laziness on the part of filmmakers that they're so afraid of? of exploring new areas that instead they're just sort of avoiding it entirely. And, you know, I don't know what the answer is. Like, mm-hmm. is there, what is the way to avoid that, that dragon lady stereotype? Is it finding, you know, maybe Asian writers to actually write the character? Maybe it's, it goes beyond just adapting it to the screen for, for the sake of a Marvel audience and actually thinking about how to change the characters when there is no precedence for it. Mm-hmm. I th- good solution for that too but I just thought it was as a possible solution like you said bringing in Asian writers I mean for Neighbors 2 Seth Rogen had Lena Dunham and other female writers come in and help them sort of write this female driven narrative because they're dudes and this is a story about women yeah that's a that's a good way to combat it. I think I think Aaron, you're right. Yeah, bringing in Asian writers would absolutely have helped just with that point of view. I mean, something interesting that came up in my uh, in my discussion with Masioka, he's the the actor from Heroes, um, <laughs> uh, recently left Hawaii Five O. You know, he's one of the more prominent actors, and he said to me he was saying that stereotypes aren't a bad thing. If we see only stereotypes, then that's a bad thing. Mm. So when so. You have to consider it from both sides. If there are stereotypes, then at least there's visibility. And I know that sounds kind of wrong and weird, but visibility is never it is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing as long as you have other characters that are not stereotypical. And that was kind of the point of view that he that he had. And it made sense to me because in something in a case like this, in the case with Doctor Strange, once you erase you erase an Asian actor completely as a whole just to avoid a stereotype, then then that's a lose. <laughs> that's a lose-lose. Right. And at least in that case, there would be a foundation to start upon. I mean, not that stereotypes should be, should be um, approached that way, but if there is one, then there's more to learn from that case. And at least there is an actual Asian actor mm-hmm. that we can start to talk about and what to improve on and what to change. Mm-hmm. There was a, there was a Hollywood reporter piece, I think on a, on Benedict Wong's role in Dr. Strange, you know, his, his role as kind of the, uh, the sidekick, I guess I'm trying to think of the right word for him. It's, it, it's expanded past stereotypes. Um, and he gets his own kind of supporting role there, but then he becomes roughly the, the only Asian face you see and remember from the film. Right. And so that's what you get when you erase another character. It's a real shame, too, with that film in particular, because I found that everyone in the movie who was not a white man 
was way more interesting. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> you have this story about like an obnoxious, entitled, privileged white man. And he's just constantly being like, I mean, at least for the first like 30 minutes is being knocked down a peg and put in his place by women and people of color. And I think that's amazing. And then they just kind of like do away with it and go into like the conventional narrative. And then he becomes like incredibly powerful because he read a few books really fast. Like, and then he's like better than everyone else, which is really annoying. But for a moment, for a shining moment, it was like, oh, wow, the the other people in this movie who are not white dudes are so much cooler. And I almost would rather see any one of them play Doctor Strange than this guy. Uh, <laughs> totally. <laughs> there you go. It had potential, which is, I think, what made especially the casting even more disappointing than it would have been otherwise. I think Doctor Strange and Iron Fist both fall within this trap. Uh, Iron Fist, Danny Rand himself is, you know, a student of Asian stereotyping, if you will, right? It's uh, so, so then is it good to have that character in the first place anchor a television show? Is it good to have Doctor Strange in the first place be a story that's told? Uh, that, that all goes back to just there being not enough stories about Asian superheroes or a story centered around a purely Asian character. And so that's where I think that's where the wiggle room comes in. That's where some of the blurred lines come in. That's why casting directors and directors can argue that, oh, this was a creative decision and we're avoiding a stereotype. And also the character was originally white, built on stereotypes. There's just a lot of different arguments there. And I think at the end of the day, there just aren't enough stories. And so a call that's, I mean, something that's out there uh, from Asian directors and Asian actors is there, there, there needs to be more writers. So this is kind of a circuitous way to go back to Aaron, your point. If there were more Asian writers who were writing stories about Asian characters, then that's, that's a way around this, this conundrum that superhero shows and films really face not to rag on marvel <laughs> but i know i know those were marvel examples but it's i think that's 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 one solution yeah and i was actually recently reading a quote by um marjorie lu who's a, a marvel comics writer and um it was about the iron fist casting and she was saying that it was such a missed opportunity because it, it was a chance for netflix and marvel to actually subvert those tropes mm -hmm. and to not fall back on that excuse and it just makes me wonder you know i think that beyond just pushing for more asian writers and, more, and casting more asian actors is that we need to push executives and the creators to actually work harder to subvert what was wrong in the first place. You know, if something was actually incorrect in the first place, then like, let's take it upon them to fix it. You know, mm -hmm. just as I think Scott Derrickson was had that idea, like the, the, the seed of that idea to sort of fix the ancient one stereotyping, but it takes more than just, you know, casting an actor or, you know, doing like fixing it with an easy step. There needs to be actual people that want to fix it from the ground up. Right, right. And it's not even just fixing. I mean, you could praise Marvel for casting Elodie Young as uh, as Elektra. You know, that's kind of subverting the role itself when there there wasn't anything to fix. It's just, you know, casting casting someone who you would not have pictured as Elektra, but absolutely fits. It's bringing that it's bringing those faces out there. I think another another good way to start doing that, too, because I think you know, we talk a lot about how we need to give these people more opportunities, whether it's women or other minorities. And I think that there's a really good way to do that. And it does, it starts from the ground up. And you take someone like Paul Feig, who unfortunately has become this sort of like symbol for like gatekeeper for women. Right. <laughs> right. It's not 
sucks, but it's also great. But I mean, like something that he does that's very simple. And we saw it like, you know, late last year, earlier this year was he took a set photo from Ghostbusters and it was like most of the people working on that movie were women, like from like grips to like production assistants to, I mean, everybody involved on every level was female. And I think that that's something that you have to do is that you have to open the door and you have to say, okay, I'm going to make a concerted effort to look for talented women and minorities and give them these jobs and open that door for them so that they can start climbing the ladder and have the same opportunities. Like they just need the same opportunities. Mm -hmm. That's it. Like once you give them those opportunities, once they're in the door, I think it becomes a little easier, but that's the problem is that nobody's opening the door. Right. There are only a couple of creators out there who are opening that door and it's really good on them to do so. I mean, you can, you can, you know, look at Master of None for, for being quite inclusive. There, Mm -hmm. there are actually, you know, the TV space has been more inclusive and maybe that's because it's the era of peak TV. There are more projects, there are more voices that can be heard. The real issue is, is in the film space. It's just still so, it's just still so hard for executives to think of an Asian movie star, even though hypocritically, I guess they, they want to appeal to, you know, the, the Asian box office. And yet they can't think of a movie star who can star in Ghost in the Shell, for example. Mm. And so that's that's the problem. It's like the ultimate goal is having an Asian movie star you know, uh, front one of these huge tentpole films. And I think Ming-Na Wen was saying this to me, where she was saying that, you know, she thought this was kind of, change was kind of happening when she started her career. It was starting from the ground up. It was like people were casting, uh, were doing colorblind casting. They were very aware. And so they were hiring more uh, diverse people behind the scenes. And yet that didn't exactly trickle up, (laughs) if that makes sense. And so it's like a cycle that starts all over again. But I think the difference now is that we have social media, is that, is that we have these fans who can really rally around, not rally around, rally against uh, poor decisions mm-hmm. and make themselves heard. And so maybe that's, maybe that's what's going to help sustain this wave. You know, I'm still kind of hesitant to call it a total, you know, tidal wave or anything like that, but there's, there's something happening and it's just a matter of sustaining it because it's, it's been something that's happened. It's, people have hired, you know, diverse crews, you know, writers, but it just didn't trickle up and it, that takes time. That was one of the most interesting things to me about the first piece that you published about that we're at a crossroads mm-hmm. and um, how much, I think there was this statistic um, from USC that I think what uh, 3.9% of the actors in films from 2015 were Asian, mm-hmm. which is an incredibly ridiculously small percentage. In, in the top 100 grossing films. Right. Yeah, but still. <laughs> still not good. And mm-hmm. the fact that that, I think that statistic hasn't changed since 2007. And just thinking about how nothing has changed and what this moment was and why it's changing now. And like you say, it's, it's social media. And I really think that it's so interesting that now that we have these hashtags, I think there was a Mulan hashtag. Yeah, there was make Mulan right. There was also right. the whitewashed out hashtag. There's there's the, yeah, starring John Cho hashtag. There's 
there's all these hashtags, which is really great, but they lead to petitions and they do lead to casting directors and execs hearing them. I mean, to what extent? I'm not totally sure. There's no way to totally measure, you know, how many projects they've greenlit now compared to before. But those are there and they feel the pressure, uh, which is something that every casting director I talked to said that they feel pressured now. They felt pressure before, but now it's a different kind of pressure. It's fans will tweet at them. Fans will tweet at those films. They will they will create hashtags, create petitions. And that's great. There's there's a voice. There's a voice calling for something and that that assures execs that uh that hey, there are people out there who want to watch this film or they want to watch this story, you know? Right. Unfortunately, I feel like we were all so I mean, I know I was too because I've had to write a lot of these Mulan stories in like our just weekly articles and stuff. And like, I think we were all so focused on Disney's Mulan movie (laughs) that nobody bothered to think about Sony's Mulan movie and they turned around and hired a white dude to direct it. Right, Alex Graves. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, he's directed some good TV, I guess, but like you couldn't (laughs) have found anyone else like even just like a woman just give me a woman maybe because it's a story about a woman or just somebody who is not a white guy who knows nothing about the story yeah yeah I mean I'm I'm a diehard Game of Thrones fan and I have faith that Alex Graves can direct a great battle sequence but when I saw that news too Britt I'm with you I was like oh okay well (laughs) you know And I was getting criticism back at me on Twitter from other journalists who I will be polite and not name who were like, you know, how do you know that they didn't meet with Asian directors? And like your article doesn't list any Asian directors that could, you know, that could direct this. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I didn't know it was my job to furnish them, like to do their job for them. Like, (laughs) you know, I can go back and add like a whole list. I can go like here, like here's a link to a Wikipedia page, which is like just I mean, that's like the least amount of work you can do. But like they don't do that. And it's, it's just like, you know, how do you know that they didn't meet with Asian directors? I'm like, well, because it was never reported. I mean, like I don't know that for a fact, but like from between the time that this movie went into development a few months ago to now, we heard nothing. And then all of a sudden it was like, we're hiring a white dude. So if you did speak to Asian directors, maybe that's something that you should have, you know, decided to put in the press. Mm-hmm. Right. That's actually something that I've seen like just looking at the online chatter, whether it's on Twitter or on Tumblr, this this is something that's also come up with casting. For example, with Ghost in the Shell, with Scarlett Johansson, I feel like a lot of people kept tweeting like, why didn't they consider Rinko Kikuchi? Or why didn't they look at so-and-so and so-and-so? I think that's going, or like, oh, you don't know if they looked at Rinko Kikuchi and decided that she heard English isn't up to par, or they, you know, maybe they did look at these people. And that's, and that's just making excuses the ultimate decision was made and it's a backward step and so and so I feel like those arguments just I mean I'm with you Brace. it it, it it doesn't make sense to to even argue that oh well you don't know if they've looked at Asian directors if they looked at Asian actors the the point is they didn't go with an Asian actor or an Asian director in the end and that's the problem exactly yeah and, and you get a lot of lists too. Like you'll get short lists that get leaked. Mm-hmm. And on those short lists, a lot of times you never see any, like any interesting, it's always just like, here's a white dude. Here's a white dude. Here's a white dude. <laughs> here's a white person. Here's like whatever. And you just see the same thing over and over. So it's like, I'm sorry if I just assume based on, you know, mm-hmm. that this they're doing. And also sort of pivoting away from this point, it's a, it's a bit of a tangent, but I think it's not just missed opportunities in, in terms of, 
the color of your skin. Like, oh, this is an Asian character and now it's a, a white actor. It's also something that people are also angry about is the fact that these are, a lot of the time, these are Asian stories that are being rewritten. I mean, I'm going back to Ghost in the Shell. But I haven't, obviously, none of us have seen this new Ghost in the Shell. There's only been a little bit of footage from the trailers and the teasers that look really visually exciting. But as as a fan of the, of the 1995 original, you start wondering, like, what exactly are they changing in the story to make it Hollywoodized, to, to, to make it appeal to more people, quote unquote. And that's something that people are, th- that's something that I think people are sad about, that, you know, you not only miss an opportunity to cast an Asian actor, you tweak the story so that it's no longer an Asian story. I'm not sure if this is making sense, but this is, yeah, yeah. Ghost in the Shell is a, is like I said before, a, a quintessential Japanese story. It's, you know, it's, it's about feeling that isolation in a really connected world. And so to take that away and yet still use visual elements from it, you know, robotic geishas and stuff like that, but then put a white actor at the center of it. And the, as far as the trailer goes, it seems like it's about her finding her identity, you're mixing that up a bit. You're you're fudging around with it, and so that's that's something that personally I'm I'm uncomfortable with, and fans are uncomfortable with, and so it's it's two it's multiple layers of disappointment, which is so sad to say. And I guess I should say here that I'm Asian American. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if nobody got that by now. Uh, I think that, you know, Ghost in the Shell, I think that it does have universal, universal appeal to a, to a certain degree of like, you know, you were saying like feeling isolated in a world that's like so connected through all this technology. I mean, that's something that we're like Black Mirror explores. I mean, like these are things that like, I think everyone can relate to, but you're right. It does take all these opportunities and miss them. And it wants to co-opt Asian culture <laughs> with all these visuals and stuff. And then like, you know, recast the role with a white actress. And on the way, like I'm torn because like I'm. I love Scarlett Johansson so much. I'm like obsessed with her. But on the other hand, I do see why it's a huge problem. And I can't help but wonder too, um, knowing what I know with some friends of mine in the industry and having spoken with them about the way that Marvel films play in China, for instance, there are things that Marvel does when they release a movie in China, like they add in extra scenes for Chinese audiences. Yes. (laughs) And the Chinese audiences usually don't like them because they're very like what we think of as like stereotypically Asian things. Mm -hmm. And the Chinese audiences hate them because they're just like, oh, this is how Americans think that like we are. And they just like, they're like, they don't get it. They just like the movie as it is on its own. So I think that maybe kind of speaking to your point too, Shirley, is that like, they think that like, if they just don't address it or don't even try, that's better than than better than (laughs) trying. So like casting Scarlett Johansson is like, okay, here's like this like beloved superstar who's white and we'll put her in this and then we'll save, we'll keep a bunch of the Asian stuff in there, but this way it appeals to like everyone. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That That's a good way of putting it. It's like, it's like throwing a bone. It's like, oh, we recognize the issue. So here, here's what we've done to alleviate it, but it's not really doing anything. Right. <laughs> the main problem yeah. is still there. <laughs> and it doesn't help either that they tried, uh, that they, they briefly flirted with the idea of, basically putting her in yellow face with cgi oh god Gosh, yeah. <laughs> it's like and I'm- i don't know what they were thinking with that i mean like I've, i spoke to people and that was like a story that i got and i i spoke to 
people who knew firsthand what was going on. And they were like, yeah, I mean, that's one of the craziest stories we've ever heard because it just doesn't normally like studios are stupid, but they're not normally that stupid. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they, they clearly, they clearly thought through this. They were like, we need a movie star to sell this film that doesn't have that much name recognition. So they thought through that. And then I, I can't believe that they would have even considered something like putting her in yellow face it's like cloud atlas was just you know oh, imagined <laughs> i love cloud atlas but gosh yeah so problematic yeah but i mean you you mentioned the global like the marvel films thing the the fact that it's not just marvel it's it's a lot of temple films it's in transformers they'll toss in you know a leaping bing they'll they'll toss in an asian movie star being like oh look there she is or like in uh i think in independence day resurgence which Okay, I have to admit, I only went to see because we gave it an F. <laughs> so I was like, I have to see it. They had like a couple of scenes with um this this huge movie star in uh, in China. Her name's Angela Baby. Uh, my parents know who she is, so that's that's why oh, she's yeah. a big movie star. Yeah, so she was in it for like maybe you know like seven minutes tops, and that's just them throwing the Asian box office a bone, thinking like, oh, that's someone they recognize, so it'd be great. And it's so funny because. Because it's like, it's something that still, even though the box office there does bonkers for these films, it's why there are more Transformers films coming. It's it's like a habit now that, that also has, that, that still doesn't make those big Chinese Hong Kong movie stars actually be the star of these films. It's like, there's there's a ceiling. There's, there's a bamboo ceiling, as it's called. And so it's just, uh, it's something that I think, yeah, audiences are uncomfortable with but when the studios see that these films do really well internationally they're like we're just going to keep doing it it's going to be fine and you you can't break it we can keep giving these films f's but they're going to be seen well from what i understand they also really i mean chinese audiences really don't like that kind of stuff either because they know that like we're pandering to them directly oh yeah yeah and it's like really obvious what we're doing and i think it's also just like a, a bad approach is that okay, so you're throwing like a, you know, you're throwing someone like Angela Baby in this movie for like two seconds to appeal to your international box office. But I think the real problem is like visibility here. Like, you know, you don't need to be putting Asian actors in movies for five seconds for like a quick cameo to appeal to your Chinese box office. You need to be putting Asian actors in movies in the U.S. for Asian for Asian people in the U.S. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. It's it's just such pandering and it's so obvious, I think, is the thing. I mean, it's just like the the lowest denominator. It's like the easiest way they could have done this. Just like, oh, let's pluck them over, put them in. And then uh, oh, it's going to work so well. But like, no, it hasn't. You're right. Like the the response to um, the Great Wall has been so awful so far. I mean, you know, the directors come like. The director's great. You know, Zhang Yimou, everyone has loved his work. And so this is something that's really tripped people up. Like, oh, why is he doing this? What's going on? Why why is Matt Damon the lead in your movie? And they say, like, oh, it's a monster movie. It's fantasy. And, you know, like... (laughs) That, that's the thing. You get caught in this place where you're like, oh, I love the people working on this, but oh, I hate this part of it. And then and then that's where you get stuck as an audience member. I yeah. mean, the, the, the point is it's they've chosen the, the lowest denominator. They've chosen the easiest way to go about pandering. And it, it's worked against them, but also for them enough that they will continue doing it. <laughs> the Great Wall is the most shocking example to me because it's from Jean Yamo. So mm-hmm. why is he 
ha- why does he have Matt Damon at the front of this film? And of course, the excuse, like you said, is that it's folklore, that it's based on a folktale, so therefore it's okay. Like, if there are dragons, therefore there shouldn't be Asian people in a story about the Great Wall. Like, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And the other thing about that movie is I feel like they did throw in, there, there is a, um, a pop star in that movie. Mm-hmm. I can't think of his name. Yeah, um, uh, I think he's either a, a Korean pop star or... Um, uh, a Chinese pop star, but he's, he's crazy famous. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like that was another person that was just sort of thrown in there for the box office internationally. And, and when I remember when I was at the press conference for The Great Wall at New York Comic Con, and people were asking Matt Damon about the controversy, and this this young <laughs> pop star was there, and no one was really addressing him, but he was sort of like, well, well he's in the movie too. Like, there, <laughs> there are some Asian people, and sort of just kind of tossing it back to these supporting characters. And of course, we don't know how many lines they have and how you know prominent they are in the movie, but still, at the end of the day, it's like it's Matt Damon mm-hmm. sa- saving the day as another white savior. Right. You have the bare bones of the story. And I think you can't just toss it to another actor saying like, oh, there's there's an Asian face. I mean, that that, you know, that would be like us talking about Doctor Strange and just being like, oh, well, Benedict Wong is there. No, what, what we were saying before is he, he is an actual character. And that's a good thing. If this if the pop star, his name is also not coming to me (laughs) at this moment. Now, if he is an actual character, well then, great. But the marketing so far for the film just seems like here's the white hero, here he is saving China from dragons and monsters. (laughs) And oh, okay, well, great. So what is this pop star doing? You have no idea. You glimpse him in the trailer along with other Asian faces. And this is where I have to praise Star Wars. Rogue One has clearly shown, not that I've seen Rogue One, if I have, there, there would be you know, snipers pointed at me, but like, <laughs> but from the trailers, from what we've seen, Donnie Yen is his own character. You've seen Wen Xiang be his own character. Like they're all, they have character. They're not just background players. And that's what matters. Then again, haven't seen these films. Totally <laughs> depends on how <laughs> how they play. Uh, I mean, but that's the in difference. Comparison, I think that there's like a comparison to be made is like something like The Great Wall. You have Matt Damon who feels like he's in it, not just as like token big movie star guy to make sure people go see it, but in a way that feels like training wheels almost. It's like we can't trust this movie full of Asian people to succeed on its own in America. We have to put Matt Damon in it to make sure it does. But then when you look at something like Star Wars, like that's going to get by regardless because of like name recognition. But I do have faith in Rogue One and sight unseen, like still like I just based on the strength of the force awakens, like you can say what you want about like, if you didn't like the movie or you had problems with it, or you felt like it was, you know, too much, like, you know, just a reboot of a new hope. Like, I think that there's something really special going on at Lucasfilm right now. And even though I'm still angry with Kathleen Kennedy, because she still has not hired a woman to direct any of these movies yet. Like (laughs) there's a lot of diversity going on in the Star Wars universe right now, like The Force Awakens alone, you don't just have a diverse cast of different races and genders. You have in the background, even just the background actors, half of them are women and people of color. Mm -hmm. People who don't even have lines, just half of them are are women and people of color. And that's like a big thing too. Mm -hmm. You have to put, you have to have a, a diverse background cast. Like even if you just have like a crowd of people in the background, you can't just have a bunch of white dudes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that be and that's been, a, that's been a big issue and that was something I was surprised to learn last year when I was doing some research on another article was just how many people in these background scenes like background extras with no speaking lines are white men it's a huge number 
And so something like that stood out to me where it was like, oh, like not only are they diversifying like their main cast, but people who don't even have lines are diverse. So they're doing something right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think if anything, Star Wars and Lucasfilm are sort of like trying to lead the way slowly, Mm -hmm. you know, but surely like I think Kelly Marie Tran is in um, episode eight. So that's something to look forward to. And um, it's it's exciting to see that Lucasfilm is doing that. Yeah. It also made me think of, uh, there was a quote by um, Greg Silverman of, of Warner Brothers um, in, in one of your pieces, Shirley, where he said, diversity is good business about Suicide Squad, which I, like, just reading that quote, I was like, what? Someone at a studio said this? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. When I was talking to him, he he was like, and diversity is good business. You know, that, that was proven by Suicide Squad. And then he stopped talking, and I was like, what do you mean by that? Because, <laughs> I mean, I think in our bubble of entertainment journalists and critics, Suicide Squad was pretty much universally panned. So it was like, oh, this is going to be your example. <laughs> uh, but then, but, you know, he made the point that if you show Latino superheroes or Asian superheroes, that's moving the needle in in the right direction. And he, he cited Jay Hernandez. He cited um, the the actress who played Katana. He he just said that as long as you have more faces, then it'll appeal to more audiences. He said that they, you know, they made sure that Suicide Squad had scenes for them, and that way audiences who saw themselves on screen would want to come. And that was that was something that at first I questioned him on because I was like, how do you know? Like why? Why Suicide Squad of all the films? And he, you know, he said that when they when they went with te- test audiences, they were more eager to see it because they saw themselves on screen. And that's that actually is just such that that is something that everyone should think, and yet is something that's so hard to carry out. You know, I mean, because if you look at you know other Warner Brothers films, it's not like Batman versus Superman featured prominent Asian actors aside from the woman who followed Jesse Eisenberg around. And so they're, they're, you know, it's not, it's not something that's worked for them all the time, but he cited Suicide Squad as a, as a, you know, in the end I thought, you know, that's a pretty good example. It, it was a diverse group of villains, not necessarily heroes. Right. I guess that's the start at least. <laughs> that is a start. I mean, that's, that's just the thing. It's like we, you know, when we think about diversity and inclusion it's it's almost as if Hollywood takes a step forward and then takes two steps back when they're like, oh, we did it. And then they, they, they forget to do things again. And so this goes back to the point of just sustaining it from the ground up, really. It's, it's not just people hiring behind the scenes, but it's also fans continuing to point out when things are done incorrectly and people continuing to applaud the films that do it right. So right now we're seeing Lucasfilm doing a great job. And that that's something else. This is me kind of pivoting to something else. But, you know, I mean, sci-fi films have always opened the door for, for more diverse casts. I mean, sometimes because they end up hiding them under makeup and effects. But right. but that's a, that's a good genre to move into. And so it's really good to see them doing that. So it's important to not only, you know, yell at the studios doing a bad job. <laughs> but then also applauding the the films that do it correctly. And so even though um, even though Suicide Squad was not exactly a great movie by any means, it is important to point out that it did have uh, it did include a diverse core cast, and that's something that's important. I'm I'm honestly surprised that Warner Brothers hasn't. I mean, in some ways, they are kind of ahead of Marvel. I mean, they're going to have a solo fe- female superhero movie before Marvel. They did put, you know, they did have Katana and Suicide Squad, you know, hero or villain still. That's like before 
Benedict Wong ever showed up in Doctor Strange. So, (laughs) I mean, like, honestly, I would not be surprised at this point if Warner Brothers was, like, the first studio to, like, we're going to put an Asian director on a big superhero movie or we're going to put, like, an Asian superhero in a movie, like, in his own movie or her own movie. I wouldn't be shocked at this point, whether it's good or bad. I mean, I guess that's kind of like the downer is like their movies aren't or have not been very good, but <laughs> you at least they're trying. Yeah. True. And it's I mean, it's interesting when you look at the DC TV space, too, as far as the Arrowverse goes. Right. It's um, Arrowverse plus Supergirl, however the time universe thing works. <laughs> um, I, I mean, it's funny. You you have Supergirl featuring uh uh, what was it recently? I'm going to screw this up, but I think the Kyler Lee, whoever plays the sister to Supergirl that just came out as lesbian, and then right. they, they were also the universe that had um, out characters on Legends of Tomorrow That's before yeah. before Marvel even went into anything as far as TV goes. And I feel like we're just panning Marvel at this point, but no, it's, it's important to look at the superhero genres. There are such huge bubbles in the entertainment world that it's it's time and so it's yeah there you go right i mean they <laughs> occupy so much space on screens and they lead so much in in the, just the industry in general that like we can't not really pick on them whether <laughs> they're doing well or not so i mean if they get better then we'll pick on them less there you go <laughs> i mean it's also interesting that that the superhero genre in general has been a little bit slow as far as asian representation goes I, I, because when I was talking to John John M. Chu, the the director of Crazy Rich Asians, he was saying, you know, we are at a crossroads. Uh, this is moving in the di- right th- direction now that this has been greenlit along with the moon, the Disney's Mulan adaptation. Uh, but keep in mind that these are both Asian stories. These are very <laughs> these are very Asian centric stories. And he made a point along with other uh, along with other actors I spoke to that it's it's important that eventually there are actors seen in other genres that it's not just oh here's an Asian story therefore Asian cast so it has to be an Asian cast it should be here's a totally original story maybe not a superhero story here's a totally original story not with an Asian background but let's cast an Asian actor in it so actually Edge of Seventeen is a good example the yeah. The actor in that, he's Asian Canadian, and he he plays a teenager despite being thirty one, I believe. Oh my God, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh wow, yeah. I feel better about having like giant crush on him now. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, you know that's that's not a character that I think um, audiences would have imagined on paper being Asian, but could be. So that's what's important. I think it's just like opening your mind and just casting casting anyone I mean like you know doing colorblind or genderblind casting I think is really important like yeah I can see how you know Irwin on the, especially his name Irwin like on the page you probably would not imagine an Asian kid or any I mean you probably just like default to white but like on screen like he totally steals that movie because he's given that opportunity to do so mm-hmm. and that kid is like he's my favorite person on the planet right now like I want to <laughs> marry him and I also want to see him in like everything from now on like put him in everything immediately there you go that's that that really is the bottom line giving giving someone an opportunity to uh to get out there and make a character his own uh colorblind casting it's been around for a long time it's just (laughs) it just takes a while there's you know there have been steps forward steps back as i've said but opportunity that that's what people get angry about and that's what needs to continue to happen i think um you know, I was talking to, uh, so I'm going to bring this back to Masi. 
when I was talking to Masi, it wasn't just because he's a prominent Asian television actor, but also because he's a producer on Netflix's Death Note, which has cast white actors as their leads. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Masi isn't the casting director by any means. (laughs) He's not the director. But he was explaining that they went in the end with the best actors for the parts. And, you know, when when you hear that, it's like, okay, well, they... I guess they opened the door. They did give people opportunities, but it just didn't work out. Womp womp. And I, I kind of wanted to argue with him, but, you know, he, he was already very hesitant about how much he could say. And he was saying that, you know, it's just, it's a case-by-case thing. <laughs> and and I guess my point is it's it's so hard sometimes to translate those opportunities to success stories like like Hayden's in Edge of Seventeen, because there are just, there are so many missed ones. And even when there are Asian producers, uh, even when there are Asian writers, and that's kind of what's sad. They, you know, you can't, you can't change their minds. They, they were the ones in the room. But I guess the bottom line is, as long as there continue to be opportunities open to Asian actors, as long as there are are Asian writers and Asian producers, even if it goes the other way, as long as they are there, that's a good thing. Yeah, I think that's a step. But I think it's that like things like social media and like petitions are giving people and audiences a chance to actually push back and to actually push back on that common phrase of, you know, we gave it to the best actor. Like, okay, sure, but how many of the best actors did you look at before deciding who the number one best actor was? (laughs) Which, I mean, you hear that in... And so many other types of casting that are uh, uh, with other minorities where they go for a cisgender actor over a trans actor or, you know, a white actor over a, an actor of color. And, yeah, I just think the opportunity is really in pushing back constantly now in any ways mm-hmm. that we can. If it's like getting around a hashtag, if it's getting around um, maybe like boycotting a movie. Not that I'm saying that I to do that specifically, <laughs> but like maybe um, I think in one of your pieces, Shirley, um, Ming-Na said that um, you just like don't go to the theater if you don't want to support it. And yeah. that's, you know, people went to the theater and supported Suicide Squad, despite mm-hmm. it being a trash <laughs> movie, but that showed that they, they liked it, so therefore diversity is good. So if you don't support something that, you know, isn't staying true to the storytelling that it should and representing diversity on all fronts that it, that it can, then maybe that will be taken into account as well. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's, I mean, that's something that I have to think about as a moviegoer, really, you know, because sometimes like, God, I just remember when Ghost in the Shell was announced, I was like, oh my God, they're making a Ghost in the Shell movie. (laughs) And, you know, watching these trailers, it looks really cool. There are moments from the original anime in it where she's coming out under her thermo-optic, you know, camouflage and kicking people around. And you're like, oh my God, that's exactly from the movie. But, um, but you, you you have to force yourself to say what do i believe in most and what i believe in is this and is in representation and i believe that this was uh, was not the right decision and you have to force yourself not to give over money even though that sounds kind of easy like oh i don't i don't want to i don't want my wallet to you know hemorrhage all my cash but <laughs> <laughs> but it it can be hard because it piques your curiosity and it's maybe sometimes it's a project to really love and on the other hand for hollywood they you know, I what I wanted to say back to to Masi and and to casting directors who, to, who told me their stories was like, well, you should have tried harder. But it's like that's not my place to say that. Um, but that's something that I'm happy that uh, the Crazy Rich Asians film is doing. That they're working hard. That they 
from the get-go, they knew in their meetings that this was going to take more, much, much more effort than, than, you know, a typical Hollywood movie where you have loads of options. This, they were like, we're, we're going to cast an all-Asian cast, which means we're going to really have to put our feelers out. They put out a casting call uh, recently, and and as long as they're working hard, well, then fans can also work hard to stop themselves from seeing films that do things incorrectly. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I know that I've I've had to boycott some movies just because, like, I just can't deal, like, just jokingly and most recently, like I don't see Johnny Depp movies anymore and Fantastic Beasts sort of tricked me. So <laughs> about it. but like, I mean, I think Only it is like, seconds. I mean, like if you really are convicted about something, like how much I hate Johnny Depp as a human being and actor, I can be like, I'm just not going to see these movies anymore. Just like, I'm not going to go see movies by certain directors that I know are going to be insulting to my gender. And I'm not going to go see movies by people who are going to be incredibly racist or insensitive. Like, mm-hmm. You know, like if you're just not going to make a movie for me, like then it's not a movie for me. So I'm not going to go see it. Hollywood is very easily forgiving. You know, like Woody Allen can make Crisis in Six Scenes. Mel Gibson can be an award contender for Hacksaw Ridge. But it really it really does come down to the fans. And so that's that's the call being put out there. And it, it is hard. Like I said, I'm like, I have to tell myself, no, don't go see Ghosts in the Shell. <laughs> like, at least don't pay for it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just like have someone take you and they'll pay for it or um, (laughs) you'll you'll, you'll get a screener eventually probably. Right. right. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Just join this industry and get screeners. (laughs) Yeah. The one thing I've been thinking about a lot, um, reading lots of pieces on diversity and writing about them is just how important it is in general this year um, and the next four years, how much we really do need diversity in film. And, um, you know, beyond just having be, being able to go to the movies and see people that look like us and tell our stories um, from any minority perspective. I think we need that now more than ever, now that we're entering this Trump era of presidency and this scary time. Um, I feel like we don't often think about art, but at the very least, that is a place where we can see ourselves reflected and know that we have a voice there. And um, there was just a piece written recently by Angie Han at Slash Film about this and just sort of advocating for how filmmakers now more than ever really should be pushing. And I I just really hope that we see that. Yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, I think, I I think films and television, especially these days have, have such an impact. And, uh, and I mean, Obama gets a lot of credit for sort of changing the tide. You know, there's no way to measure how much, uh, how much of an effect Obama had on, you know, Shondaland as a whole, for example. But it, it it matters that that creators think about how much how much politics is influencing their work and how important it is to continue being inclusive because those that's what people see. Right. That's how we're going to be spending the next four years is escaping to the movie theater. So <laughs> let's at least see, you know, not all white men. There you go. It's yeah. a good plan. Well, thank you for joining us, Shirley. Thank you for having me. This and- is fun. Yeah, it was. Um, and where can we find you on social media? Oh, you guys can find me on Twitter at ShirklesXP. That is S-H-I-R-K-L-E-S-X-P. <laughs> There's a story behind it, but you know what? You'll have to be my friend to figure that out. Okay. <laughs> For another episode. Yes. <laughs> and you could find me on Twitter at CinemaBite, B-I-T-E. And where can we find you, Britt? 
You can find me on Twitter as well at Miss Britt Hayes, H-A-Y-E-S. Thanks for listening. For more of the latest movie and TV news, head to ScreenCrush.com. Follow us on Twitter at ScreenCrushNews, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram and Snapchat at the username ScreenCrush.